This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The sky is set ablaze with orange, red, and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can also listen to past shows. You can binge listen to your heart's content. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life with the Birches. Call 224-9111. I'm joined by Chris Ryan, who, in between bites of a cheese case... Having day, lunch. ...will probably have something to say as I ramble on. Because today, folks, today I'm in recovery. I'm in recovery from having spent the day listening and watching to a historic... And terrifying event. Uh, the I was transfixed, like many of you and much of America, by the raw emotional content on display at a hearing that probably never should have been public. Um, because the hearing, uh, further hearing on the nomination uh, by 45 of Brett Kavanaugh to uh, become the next Supreme Court justice, a lifetime appointment, um, took a turn and was a presentation of a kind that the country has really never experienced in terms of both uh, the process for confirming a nominee, the content of the um, hearing, uh, and what it portends for the country. A couple of observations that I made. Um, and a couple of opinions, because I'm not shy to share either my observations or my opinions, uh, are the following. First of all, if a process had worked properly, uh, the allegations against um, uh, Brett Kavanaugh by a number of women, including Professor uh, Ford, uh, should have been, could have been investigated by an impartial body. Um, uh, like the FBI. Uh, that would have been routine, um, should have been routine. And uh, unfortunately, in the current political environment where uh, the president has spent so much time trashing the Department of Justice and the FBI uh, and uh, where the uh, committee is so partisan, uh, unfortunately, the majority refused to conduct the kind of investigation that would have uh, left us with facts, not just a he said, she said, raw emotional display. 
Secondly, given what happened at that hearing, uh, I have to admire the courage and credibility of Dr. Ford. Um, I believed her. Uh, sh- the facts are that um, she uh, sent a letter to and tried to reach her congresswoman, Anna Eshoo, who I know, when Brett Kavanaugh uh, was on the short, be- became known uh, as being on President Trump's short list of potential nominees. She told what she knew before he was the nominee, well before he was the nominee. Uh, The letter got to Senator Feinstein, who held it in confidence um, because Professor Ford wanted it held in confidence. It was leaked. Once it uh, got leaked, reporters showed up at her home, reporters showed up in her classroom, and she then and only then uh, talked to the Washington Post about it. The story came out, uh, and the circus, which we saw um, unfold, uh, began to unfold. Her lawyers worked are working for her and worked for her pro bono to try to negotiate a a a some kind of way that the matter could be investigated and that the information could become known. Um, it was really the majority, um, Senator Grassley and the Republican majority, who forced this into. Uh, a circus. And that may have been the thing that I actually agreed with Brett Kavanaugh about when he said that the uh, the hearing had become a national disgrace. I, I think this was a national disgrace. It was a sad, sad moment, not just because of the raw emotions on display, but a sad moment for the United States Senate. I don't know that its confirmation process uh, will ever be the same. It was a sad moment if uh, Kavanaugh is in fact confirmed on the Supreme Court. It was a a sad moment um, in in our history because a confirmation process for a Supreme Court seat um, should be one in which we uh, seek to elevate people not just of experience uh, but also of high character and high moral fiber um, and with a uh, temperament that suits the role of a jurist on the highest court in the land. And what I saw yesterday was a woman who came forward with a painful story and credibly told about it. I think as a former prosecutor, a former defense lawyer of longstanding and lots of experience, including with crimes involving sexual assault, I can tell you that what struck me about Dr. Ford's testimony was not what she remembered, but what she didn't remember. Uh, That is what really gave a lot of credibility for me to her story because she didn't embellish. She couldn't remember things. And in fact, all the studies, all the experience, all my experience with victims uh, who have suffered through this kind of incident are consistent with the way she testified in terms of not remembering some things, but other other things like the laughter and Kavanaugh being on top of her resonated deeply and stuck in her memory. And she knew as an expert and a scientist why they stuck in her memory and in what part of the brain those memories lived. And also 
What struck me is she refused to embellish her testimony when a friendly questioner, Senator Leahy from Vermont, tried to draw her into saying that Brett Kavanaugh and Mark Judge had been laughing at her or mocking her. She refused to go there. She wouldn't say that. What her answer was, well, they were laughing with each other. She wouldn't go that extra step. And not because she was a professional witness. You could tell from her testimony she was terrified. She was uncomfortable. She was nervous. She didn't know the legal terms, um, like exculpatory. She did, there, were lot, there was lots she didn't know. She wasn't a coached witness. She was natural. She was credible. She was believable. She was 100% certain it was Brett Kavanaugh. Um, when Kavanaugh's turn came to testify, my, his, his testimony turned my stomach. And his testimony turned my stomach, number one, for the degree of rage and anger and the unhinged quality that he had composed. He said he'd only shown his testimony to one other person. Uh, I believe that. And he began with this unhinged rant about left-wing conspiracies and revenge of the Clintons and left-wing money and springing it on everybody at the last minute, which was the political line from the committee and the political line from the White House. But uh, frankly, uh, not true. Uh, What Democrats have been calling for was an investigation, um, the way in which Uh, This became uh, the accusation by uh, Professor Ford became public was clear. He avoided ever talking about that. But what really struck me and frightened me to my core about the process was the sneering way, the rage-filled way he attacked the Democratic senators who were asking him questions, the way he chose to be combative, political, and angry, said volumes to me, aside from all the facts, put it all aside, aside from all the facts, his manner said, this is not somebody who is qualified, who is fit to be a judge, let alone a judge on the Supreme Court. Because what we need and expect from our judges is impartiality. We need no politics but an impartial view. What we need is the ability, as difficult as it is in charged situations, to separate emotions from facts, to rule dispassionately, to be the respected arbiter of the facts in a courtroom and on the Supreme Court to deal with the most serious issues that affect American life and do it without letting politics intrude. The future of the Supreme Court with a Brett Kavanaugh on it is a clouded future. He has, he will, his elevation, if it happens, will call in my mind into doubt the impartiality of the Supreme Court in a way that is certainly redolent of what happened in uh, Bush v. Gore way back when. Uh, but more than that, his overt political attack, his, his unhinged rant about left-wing conspiracies suggested to me that this guy is totally unfit, irrespective of the he said, she said. And I will also say that his trying to plead, I'm a choir boy, 
and then say, well, I drank some beer, was absolutely incredible in light of all the evidence that this was no choir boy in high school and college. This was a guy who went to an elite prep school and um, went on drinking binges. And I wonder what's really hidden underneath. We saw some of it in the anger. We didn't see it all. But what we saw was somebody unfit to serve. I think that obviously the optimal situation is to have a third party step in. The FBI has been obviously the one that's been mentioned and provide some clarity because I think the American people don't really believe Republicans or Democrats on this on this issue. And I think they have good reason uh, in regards to what's the issue. You if the issue is not the credibility, the issue is his fitness, the process issue. The process issue of how things came about and, you know, the whole and also the aspect of, uh, you know, whether or not um, Dr. Ford is to be believed over Justice Kavanaugh. It, outside, of, um, outside of an investigation taking place, senators have to make a determination um, based upon what they have seen. And the quest, fundamental question they have to ask themselves is, do you believe uh, Dr. Ford? If the answer is yes, then the next question is, do you believe that uh, an attempted rape is a disqualifier to be on be a Supreme Court justice? I, I think that oversimplifies the issue, and I'll tell you why. Because well, we ha- not they- only not and I and I not because one of the things that you often see in a court of law and and in this hearing, which I know isn't a court of law, but you have a he said she said, is the ability to go beyond the he said she said because. I assumed from the beginning that he was going to deny everything Mm -hmm. and deny it fervently. That was in my assumption. And that's just part of the male patriarchal approach to dealing with women and the issues and the fact that one in three women in this country suffers some kind of sexual assault. But even putting that aside, what was on display was a the way in which Kavanaugh comported himself spoke more volumes than the he said, she said. And the sad thing is that if he's confirmed, they will ignore somebody whose unhinged anger and rant and conspiracy theories will now infect what happens on the Supreme Court. And that goes beyond the he said, she said. I expected him to deny it, but I expected somebody who could control himself as bad as as life has been for him and his family, that he could control himself because he was a job interview for the highest court in the land. And that's one of the saddest things we saw. I, he was playing to a um, a jury of one. Uh, the concern at that point, you know, was that uh, Donald Trump may you know, pull the rug out from under him, it appeared, and that things were going in the wrong direction. And President Trump at the uh, press conference in New York said he wanted to see um, you know, Justice Kavanaugh fight back stronger, and that's what he did. You're right in terms of judicial temperament and um, the politicization of uh, the Supreme Court. Um, I think that that's what he had to say was very concerning in regards to that and, you know, potentially disqualifying. But for the in terms of the political side of things, individuals, Republicans, or perhaps even some Democrats who vote for uh, Judge Kavanaugh are going to have to answer those two fundamental questions out on the campaign trail. And it's going to come down to, are, are you okay with an individual who uh, is um, being accused of attempted rape uh, being on the Supreme Court? And if you believe the individual 
who uh, pushed forth that story, then that becomes even more complicated for you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a last word, I'll just say this. In the midterm elections, character matters. And we have seen and we are being led by a person of low character and immoral behavior. Unfortunately, uh, I believe... Uh, Professor Ford. I don't think that Brett Kavanaugh has the character to serve. I don't think he has the temperament to serve. And unfortunately for all of us, the judicial nomination process and the future of the Supreme Court and the Senate uh, are dimmer today than they were before this terrible and emotional event on Thursday. This is Paul Hodes on WKXL. It's Off the Record, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. And don't go away. We'll be back in just a few moments uh, for a lighter look at art and puppetry in New Hampshire with my guest, Andrew Perry. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the internet and archived for your binge-listening pleasure at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224 Nine one one one. I'm very pleased today to welcome my dear old friend Andrew Perioli to Off the Record. Andrew, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I met Andrew many, many moons ago when my friend Lawrence Siegel, a composer who lives in West Berlin, and I collaborated on a musical called The People's House. The People's House was a political musical. The year was 2000. It seems like another century ago. The year was 2000. And we wrote a play about the goings-on, the comings and the goings, and the doings, uh, loosely based uh, around the New Hampshire State House, and loosely based, as Larry Siegel is wont to do, on actual texts of things that were said. The People's House was about the battle uh, between the governor then a female governor in the state of New Hampshire uh, and her various rivals to rise above the hoopla of politics and to find the higher ground of the common good. And it was before I went to Congress, and I always laughed about it and said, well, I wrote it first, and then I went to Congress to see if I could could do it. And the the musical was uh, performed at the Capitol Center for the Arts, um, it was a big production. I ended up thinking it was three plays in one. Uh, we never got around to uh, fixing it. Uh, but it was a full-tilt musical in which Daniel Webster and um, Hale and, and uh, all uh, came General to life. John General Stark. John Stark yeah. all came to life to help the poor folks of New Hampshire uh, struggle through their trials and travails. And one of the characters, one of the central characters in this kind of comedic drama 
set to music was The Lobbyist. The smarmy, smarmy, <laughs> no-principled lobbyist played with gusto and smarm by my guest, Andrew Perrielli. Thank you. Thank it was, you. It was, it was not exactly typecasting, <laughs> but you did a great job. Well, thanks. I do oily well. Yeah, you did oily very, very well. And you gave me a lot to work with. I mean, I- old man land... Back when we had an old man of the mountain. That's right. Uh, yes, that was going to be a, a legendary theme park. Right. That's how, we, that's how we were going to solve New Hampshire's tax problem. Yeah. We were going to turn uh, Franconia Notch into old man land, a <laughs> full tilt uh, theme park with a casino. And, yeah. You know, right. And we could still do that. We still could, and there are a lot of people who still would like to. Sure. Well, to run an inflatable old man up there. Yeah, I think people would like it. Well, and and remember, folks, the old man on the mountain in the year two thousand was still extant. Mm-hmm. Uh, the play opened uh, with a stark reminder of the beauty of the old man who looked out with watchful eye, <laughs> and that was, of course, until Craig Benson got elected and the old man jumped. <laughs> He'd had enough, and off he went over the over the edge. He tumbled yeah, yeah, tumbled yeah. to his to his rubbly dis- destruction. <laughs> And I was in Italy when that happened, and and I just had to laugh. People got very upset about it, a lot of people. But, well, I mean, really, it was just a big pile of rocks up there hanging <laughs> on by a thread and, uh, and, and epoxy. Right, and bolted, bolted yeah. here and there yeah. to the mountain to try to hold it together. Mm-hmm. But it was pretty. It was pretty remarkable. It's gone now. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, for those of you who may not know, you can drive up to Franconia Notch and you can look through telescopes that have outlines <laughs> of where the old man used to be, looking mm-hmm. out, looking out with that chin and that nose over mm-hmm. New Hampshire with a watchful eye. The sense of tradition and precedent and importance to which. Um, we, you know, that the old man represented gone now yeah. in more ways than one. But but enough of that. So <laughs> what have you been doing for the past 18 years? Well, uh, lots of theater, lots of projects here and there. Um, the last few years, it's been mostly here, um, creating some small one-man shows. Um, and, of, of course, I'm I'm also a puppeteer. Uh, so, so I can do a one-man show and have a cast of dozens. Um, and my wife and I have been putting out a, a magazine for the past, uh, well, we're going on 34 years now. It's incredible. By the way, folks, I'm holding in my hands a really gorgeous publication uh, called Puppetry International. This is the fall and winter 2018 issue number mm-hmm. 44. Um it's a it's a really terrific magazine that is all devoted to the art of puppetry. Andrew mm-hmm. is the editor. His wife Bonnie is the designer and assistant editor. He's got a long list of people who are working on it, um, and it's about an art form that is um, a really important art form in the history of theater. Sure, uh, very very critical, but one which is much less well-known to people than it des- deserves to be. I mean, if you pick up the newspaper on, on any given day and look look around for mm-hmm. what's going on in New Hampshire, it is 
pretty rare to see an offering of yeah. professional puppetry mm-hmm. going on. And this despite the fact, folks, that I have just learned as I'm opening the magazine that there is something called UNIMA, U-N-I-M-A, the Union Internationale de la Marionette, that was yeah. founded in 1929. Yes. It's the oldest uh, theater organization, international theater organization, and it is roughly chartered under UNESCO. We're not part of UNESCO, but we're an associated NGO. Uh, it's devoted to um, the ideal of international friendship and understanding through the art of puppetry. And there are centers of UNIMA uh, in about 86 countries around the world and members and even more than that. Um, and they they have a quadrennial congress where the representatives get together and and uh, various commissions to support activities that are um, you know that support the goals of the organization um, you know education and training social justice um, publications and so on you know we're we're all generally familiar with with puppetry mm-hmm. in the sense that. In popular culture, uh, Sesame Street, Mm -hmm. a very popular show, is puppets. Yes, it's puppets and it's puppets and people, but Mm -hmm. it's puppets. So they're there. We we all grew up, uh, though you know, with Mm -hmm. with with puppets. Um, Little known fact for you is that I actually um, way back when attended the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center, uh, which was aligned with. Various colleges. I was a student at yeah. Dartmouth. I spent a semester at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center um, in, a, in an exchange program, essentially. And part was that of NTI, then the NTI, yeah. the yeah. National Theater Institute. Mm-hmm. Part of the training was in puppetry, and mm-hmm. we actually visited uh, with the very early stages of what became the Jim Henson mm-hmm. operation and the Muppets. And it, by at, and that time, it was it was very very new, mm-hmm. but. Talk to me about what it is about puppetry that in a way is so um, freeing for an audience and the creation of works that tackle difficult issues that are in some ways easier to do through puppetry, Mm -hmm. uh, the theater of puppetry, than they are with um, uh, live live actors and and uh, fully live theater, yeah, what yeah. is that special sauce? Well, uh, uh, there you, is, am I being yeah no is absolutely that a coherent question? Yes, yes, and I think there are several parts to it. Um, one is that a puppet is only itself and what it represents, whereas an actor has a life, a sort of a character on the stage, and a life in the world. Uh, the puppet never gets tired or breathes hard the way uh, uh, you know a dancer might on stage, and so um, you know we we are able to kind of get the the purity of the puppet and what it represents. In addition to that, um, we sometimes don't you know we can say well it's just a, a puppet sure he's talking out against the government but uh, it's just a puppet so it's not that important um 
the uh, as a student of French history, uh, you may know that in the late 19th century, there were all kinds of uh, riots and, and uh, political actions in Lyon. Um, you know, the, the silk workers were on strike and weavers and so on. And to protest as a human was, uh, you know, you'd quickly wind up in jail. Uh, but puppets were able to get away with a lot. Uh, and that's true today, too, if you think of bread and puppet theater and all the, uh, the, the protesting the war in Vietnam, where they really got their start. Uh, we can sort of divorce ourselves from the, the people involved and kind of see this larger-than-life you know, symbols and, and metaphors, which are so often a part of puppetry. Um, yeah. It's really, it, it is a very special form of theater. Is there a lot of puppetry going on in New Hampshire that we just don't know about but ought to? Or is there a dearth of yeah. puppetry and puppetry theater in the state? Yeah. Uh, New Hampshire has a number of puppeteers, um, but it's not one of the most active areas. Um, we do, you know, if you think of, our neighbor there in Vermont, they do have bread and puppet theater um, that's that does tour quite broadly, and they're they they really are engaged in social justice work. Um, most of the puppeteers in our state um, are you know have been doing kind of the school tour circuit, a lot of um, arts and education. Um, at which puppets are also very good. Um, but because our population is kind of spread out, we don't have a lot of big cities. Um, uh, most of the New Hampshire puppeteers have tended to go down to Boston um, to, uh, you know, to sort of commune with fellow puppeteers or take part in, in uh, other activities. There, there is a lot in New England, um, there are a lot of puppeteers in around Brattleboro, Sandglass Theater, uh, you might know. Uh, and at the University of Connecticut, they have a big theater program. Uh, a lot of the people who work for the Muppets and Sesame Street came through that program. You know, I'm, I'm just looking uh, through the magazine, and I'm noticing an article called The Spirit, the Spirit of Harriet Tubman, 1985, and the New mm -hmm. Sanctuary Movement, 2018, uh, by Wes Sanders, who's talking about launching uh, his puppet and actor troupe in 1978 mm -hmm. called Underground Railway Puppets and Actors, URT. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, Deborah <laughs> Wise was yeah. involved with us in the People's House. That's right. Uh, Did yes. she play a role? She did. She, yeah, she played the Speaker of the House. Uh, I think that was Donna, the Donna Shitek sort of role. Yeah, uh, uh, I think. But I'm. I remember she was. She was involved. In she the was cast. involved. Yes, yeah. uh, and she uh, is still directing Underground Railway today. Right. You know, it's it's fascinating to see that um, one of the. One of the one of the clear focus foci for focus points for mm -hmm. puppet theater is social justice, yeah. Uh, because it 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 
you know, as you say, one person with a number of puppets can travel easily. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always been puppetry has always been something where that that took to public squares and the and the town the town meeting places and put on kind of guerrilla theater mm-hmm. that tackled issues that were tougher for live audiences. So social justice is really critical, and URT um, has clearly done that. Uh, over the years mm-hmm. of taking on both Harriet Tubman's story and now the new sanctuary movement mm-hmm. um, for for refugees, and it's just it's one of the great it's one of the great things about about uh, puppetry and 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 puppet theater. Let's take a little break. Yeah, uh, this is off the record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM streaming live over the internet. Brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling two two four nine one one one. We're talking with Andrew Perrielli, uh, who is among other. Uh, extraordinary accomplishments, the editor of Puppetry International, a performer, a raconteur, um, an educator, and a puppet master. We'll be back. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge-listening pleasure. You can go there and find our past shows and uh, just uh, download them and listen and stream them and do all those things that in the 21st century our smartphones and our computers enable us to do. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224 We're talking with Andrew Perrielli, puppet master, raconteur, educator, entrepreneur, actor, director, extraordinary New Hampshire individual. He is the editor of Puppetry International magazine, a dear friend from many years. Um, Also, by the way, a musician. Uh, We collaborated. um, I helped Andrew produce a wonderful recording um, Woody Boy Johnson of, yes. uh, of, of kind of country western, uh, country western takeoffs, country western kind of uh, a take on country western that was different than anything I've ever heard. Yeah, it was uh, sort of like cowboy songs and questionable taste. Uh, but those are the best guys. Uh, I guess Cowboy so. songs yeah. and questionable taste. Yeah. Speaking of which, by the way, yeah. I'm, I'll let you know and I, my, let my listeners know that um, coming up on October 6th at Area 23 in Concord, I have a new band called Calamity Jane. And uh, it's it's a one, I'm having a great time. We've been writing songs. We've been uh, kind of woodshedding. It's we're calling it our world debut, which is really you know world debut. Calamity <laughs> Jane on October sixth at Area Twenty Three. Be there or be square. Don't miss it. You won't go want to see this. But you know I I, I sort of taken taken a leaf from your book on twists on country and western music. I, I've written a song called "There's Too Much Twang in Nashville," hmm. and. Uh, we're um, I'm, we're we're going to play that among other ditties. Um, uh, it's a hundred percent proof rock and roll, and 
I hope you'll come out and and have a good time. But yeah. but your record was wonderful. I mean, we we had a good time producing it. I think I played on it some. Oh yes, and uh, yeah, you and, played guitar and and uh, you know recorded a lot of tracks on it. Yeah, it was a uh, back in the days when people were releasing CDs. We yes. uh, we released it as a CD. Yeah. You probably still have hundreds of hundreds of them <laughs> in your in your attic. Uh, well, in the garage. But yeah, yeah. I take your point. <laughs> Yeah, that's like my history with recording. I have I have hundreds of CDs yeah. in the garage. I have them in the basement. It's yeah. it's really special yeah. to look look at those cardboard boxes mm-hmm. filled with music and just think I made that. Now what am I going to do with that's it? That's right. And you've always got a present at hand you can give away to someone. I can always yeah. give it away. So if anybody's yeah. looking for presents, both Andrew and I will be happy to offer you our CDs at that's cut right. rate prices. It's right to us at the station. <laughs> The life of the artist. I'll be happy to sell you uh, a CD. So, are you yeah. still are you still singing and playing? And- well, I am singing every week at a school in um, Rochester called uh, the Monarch School. It's a hundred percent special needs students. Uh, I'm the music teacher there, and. We basically have a great uh, sing-along every week in each of the classes. Wow. Uh, I do not sing those uh, country eastern tunes, uh, (laughs) but I do go back into the catalog of uh, the folk rock of the 60s, the rock and roll of the 50s, um, folk songs from the 19th century, whatever has a good beat and I can get kids playing along to. Um, so we have a good time. I have not been playing out as a as a performer. Uh, I've been sticking with the puppets. And that. So what? Tell me. Let talk about your your work with puppets. Your yeah. individual work. What kind of shows are you putting together? What kind of themes are you addressing? Where, mm-hmm. where are you performing? Uh, well, I have two solo shows I'm doing right now. The first is called Mono a Monologue which, as it sounds, is a number of first-person pieces. I do a lot of different characters, some of them with puppets, some just as an actor with props or costume pieces. And then my latest show is uh, called Foreman Brown, New Hampshire's Forgotten Poet. Uh, Foreman Brown uh, studied poetry with Robert Frost uh, back in the 20s. And uh, later in the 20s, bought a farm near him up in Franconia, which he owned for about 14 years. But he was also involved in puppetry, a troupe called the Yale Puppeteers. And they toured all over the country during the 20s and 30s and established a theater out in West Hollywood called The Turnabout, where they performed with puppets and then also actors such as Elsa Lanchester, um, the folk singer Odetta got her start there. Uh, Lotta Goslar, who was sort of a, a comic dance mime from Europe. And they had this fantastic theater for about 15 years that all the Hollywood elites came to. Um, and so he just had this really phenomenal career. And I thought, you know, more people need to know about him. Uh, puppeteers all know about the puppet theater, but almost no one knows about his poetry, his earlier career as a, a formal poet. And then later, all through his life, he wrote. So uh, so I have a puppet of Foreman, and I have a puppet of Elsa Lanchester, who sings a lot of his songs, uh, kind of Noel Cowardy, uh, 
ballads. And uh, and then I have lots of slides, sort of vintage slides from the period. And it's this little, very contained kind of multimedia presentation hmm. about Foreman Brown. Are you aware that in Concord, we now have a terrific small independent theater called the Hatbox Theater. Oh, in the, over in the mall. Yeah, over in the mall. Yeah. They are doing remarkable work. Huh. And uh, Andrew Pinard, who is a terrific guy, a mm-hmm. magician at, by trade as mm-hmm. he started out, um, is the founder of the Hatbox Theater. It's going gangbusters. Mm. They've do, they're doing all kinds of really interesting work there, and it would be a really good venue, mm. I think, for you and your fascinating work. Because that's the kind of cutting-edge theater that is hard to find generally, but the hat box, at least locally, is the place where if I'm looking for really interesting theater and cutting-edge stuff that you're not going to see anywhere else, that's where I go. And there are mm. a lot of folks who are doing independent productions there, and it's a wonderful small space, and Andrew is a, is, is a smart and wonderful producer. Yeah. Uh, so I would encourage you to bring Foreman Brown uh, and the puppetry that you are doing to to Concord, so that mm-hmm. uh, all of my listeners, I have dozens of listeners, Andrew, yeah. I have dozens. So my well, dozens <laughs> of listeners can get a can get a chance to see what you're doing mm-hmm. because it sounds like it sounds really really fascinating. Well, they'd probably fill the place. They probably would. The yeah. dozens of listeners yeah, I yeah. have. Okay, folks, all all dozen of you, we're going <laughs> to go see uh, the show, next show that yeah. Andrew does at, at the Hat Box. Bring a friend. Bring a friend, and then we have two dozen. Yeah. It's really terrific. Good, good. How I, did you, I will do that. How did you get started in puppetry? What was it? What was it that attracted you? <sighs> Well, of course, I, like you, I suppose, grew up watching puppetry on TV, mostly. I don't think I'd seen a live show. It was Lamb Chop. Lamb Chop. And um, the, down on the the Jersey Shore, we had Rudy Kazuti. I don't oh, know if you saw him. I know Rudy Kazuti yeah. very well. Uh, he was a, a dear friend of mine. Oh, excellent. He and I got into all kinds of trouble. <laughs> and then there was uh, the Howdy Doody show, of, of course. Of course. Uh, and in fact, Margot oh, and Rufus Rose, who oh, used yeah, to right. perform that, right. they helped set up the O'Neill Theater Correct. Center. That's right. Um, so I was, you know, always intrigued by them as a kid. But then I, um, I was a theater major at school and doing mostly acting. And then my senior year, I got a chance to do a directing project. And they assigned two of us the same play. And I thought, I have to do something to distinguish myself. So I thought, I'll I'll do it as a puppet show. And that was the beginning, you know. And then there were several years of going between acting and puppet jobs. But finally, I got uh, a job with a a full-time puppet theater and sort of learned the trade of touring and creating shows for the the family market. And then, uh, you know, always had in mind that, uh, Bonnie and I would start putting up things that would appeal to a, you know, more of an adult market. Uh, so we've done both over the years, and it's it's one of those fields, you know. Once you get into it, there's just, just no end to the possibilities. And we've met so many people through the puppetry organizations, through doing the magazine. It's become uh, 
not just a living, but a lifestyle. Hmm. You know, I, I serve on the National Council on the Arts, hmm. which oversees the National Endowment. Right. And I am a as strong an advocate as I can be uh, for the importance of the arts and creativity um, in so many ways, not just uh, culturally and socially, but as a, in, in, as a critical element, uh, especially in the 21st century, uh, in the creative economy. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's a separation these days between the economy and the creative economy. Anybody who is alive and working um, needs to be creative and independent thinker, know how to work with people, um, we've been talking to Andrew Perry Alley, puppeteer, musician, educator, entrepreneur, magazine editor, here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL. Andrew, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Paul. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. We'll be back after these short messages to wrap up this week's edition of Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Don't go away. Welcome back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLA and FM, streamed live over the Internet and brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. Well, it was a sobering and somber week this week, given the hearings about the elevation of Brett Kavanaugh to a lifetime appointment on the Supreme Court. Chris Ryan and I did a little dissecting of that hearing. I think it needs to go beyond credibility to character and fitness. And I talked with Andrew Perry Alley, actor, entrepreneur, puppeteer, musician, educator, uh, about his art, his life, his work, uh, and the impact uh, uh, that uh, puppetry and art have on children and in our economy. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to our sponsor, the Birches of Concord. Thanks to all our listeners. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM.